Homily 15 of Homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians, Part 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 15, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. When he was discoursing about their divisions, he did not indeed at once address them vehemently, but more gently at first, and afterwards he ended in accusation, saying thus, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. But in this place not so, but he lays about him immediately, and he makes the approach of the accusation as general as possible. For he said not, Why did such an one commit fornication? But it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, that they might, as persons altogether aloof from his charge, take it easily, but might be filled with such anxiety as was natural, when the whole body was wounded, and the church had incurred reproach. For no one, saith he, will state it thus. Such an one hath committed fornication, but in the church of the Corinthians that sin hath been committed. And he said not, fornication is perpetrated, but is reported, such as is not even named among the Gentiles. For so continually he makes the Gentiles a topic of reproach to the believers. Thus writing to the Thessalonians, he said, Let everyone possess his own vessel and sanctification, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the rest of the Gentiles. And to the Colossians and Ephesians, that you should no longer walk as the other Gentiles walk. Now if their committing the same sins was unpardonable, when they even outdid the Gentiles, what place can we find for them? Tell me, inasmuch as among the Gentiles, so he speaks, not only they dare no such thing, but they do not even give it a name. See to what a point he hath aggravated his charge. For when they are convicted of inventing such modes of uncleanness as the unbelievers, so far from venturing on them, do not even know of the sin must be exceedingly great beyond all words. And the clause among you is spoken also emphatically, that is, among you, the faithful, who have been favored with so high mysteries, the partakers of secrets, the guests invited to heaven. Dost thou mark with what indignant feeling his words overflow, with what anger against all? For had it not been for the great wrath of which he was full, had he not been setting himself against them all, he would have spoken thus, having heard that such and such a person hath committed fornication, I charge you to punish him. But, as it is, he doth not so. He rather challenges all at once, and indeed, if they had written first, this is what he probably would have said. Since, however, so far from writing, they had even thrown the fault into the shade, on this account he orders his discourse more vehemently that a man should have his father's wife. Wherefore said he not that he should abuse his father's wife, 
the extreme foulness of the deed caused him to shrink. He hurries by it accordingly, with a sort of scrupulousness, as though it had been explicitly mentioned before, and hereby again he aggravates the charge, implying that such things are ventured on among them, as even to speak plainly of was intolerable for Paul. Wherefore also, as he goes on, he uses the same mode of speech, saying, Him who hath done this thing, and is again ashamed, and blushes to speak out, which also we are wont to do in regard of the matters extremely disgraceful. And he said not his stepmother, but his father's wife, so as to strike much more severely. For so, when the mere terms are sufficient to convey the charge, he proceeds with them simply, adding nothing. And tell me not, saith he, that the fornicator is but one, the charge hath become common to all. Wherefore also he added, and ye are puffed up. He said not with the sin, for this would imply want of all reason, but with the doctrine you have heard from that person. This whoever is set not down himself, but left it undetermined, that he might inflict a heavier blow. And mark the good sense of Paul, having first overthrown the wisdom from without, and signified that it is nothing by itself, although no sin were associated with it. Then, and not till then, he discourses about the sin also. For if by way of comparison with the fornicator, who perhaps was some wise one, he had maintained the greatness of his own spiritual gift, he had done no great thing. But even when unattended with sin to take down the heathen wisdom and demonstrate it to be nothing, this was indicating its extreme worthlessness indeed. Wherefore first, as I said, having made the comparison, he afterwards mentions the man's sin also. And with him indeed he condescends not to debate, and thereby signifies the exceeding greatness of his dishonor. But to the others he saith, You ought to weep and wail, and cover your faces, but now ye do the contrary. And this is the force of the next clause. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned. And why are we to weep, some might say, because the reproach hath made its way even unto the whole body of your church? And what good are we to get by our weeping? That such an one should be taken away from you. Not even here doth he mention his name. Rather, I should say, not anywhere, which in all monstrous things is our usual way. And he said not, ye have not rather cast him out, but... As in the case of any disease or pestilence, there is need of mourning, saith he, and of intense supplication, that he may be taken away. And you should have used prayer for this, and left nothing undone, that he should be cut off. Nor yet doth he accuse them for not having given him information, but for not having mourned so, so that the man should be taken away, implying that even without their teacher this ought to have been done, because of the notoriety of the offense. Verse 3. For I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit. Mark his energy. He suffers them not even to wait for his presence, nor to receive him first, and then to pass the sentence of binding. But as if on the point of expelling some conjugation, before that it have spread itself into the rest of the body, he hastens to restrain it. 
and therefore he subjoins the clause, I have judged already, as though I were present. These things, moreover, he said, not only to urge them unto the declaration of their sentence, and to give them no opportunity of contriving something else, but also to frighten them, as one who would know what was done there, for this is the meaning of being present in spirit. As Elisha was present with Gehazi, and said, Went not my heart with thee? Wonderful! How great is the power of the gift, in that it makes all to be together and as one, and qualifies them to know the things which are far off. I have judged already as though I were present. He permits them not to have any other device. Now I have uttered my decision, as if I were present. Talk not to me then of delays and putting off, for nothing else must be done. Then, lest he should be thought too authoritative, and his speech sound rather self-willed, mark how he makes them also partners in the sentence. For having said, I have judged, he adds, concerning him that hath so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan. Now what means in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? According to God, not possessed with any human prejudice. Some, however, read thus, Him that hath so done this thing, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and putting a stop there, or a break, then subjoin what follows, saying, when you are gathered together, and my spirit to deliver such an one unto Satan. And they assert that the sense of this reading is as follows. Him that hath done this thing in the name of Christ, saith Paul, deliver ye unto Satan. That is, him that hath done insult unto the name of Christ. Him that, after he had become a believer, and was called after that appellation, hath dared to do such things, deliver ye unto Satan. But to me the former way of giving it out appears the truer. What then is this? When ye are gathered together in the name of the Lord, that is, his name, in whose behalf ye have met, collecting you together. In my spirit, again he sets himself at their head, in order that when they should pass sentence, they might no longer cut off the offender, then as if he were present, and that no one might dare to judge him pardonable, knowing that Paul would be aware of the proceedings. Then making it yet more awful, he saith, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, either that Christ is able to give you such grace as you should have power to deliver him to the devil, or that he is himself together with you, passing that sentence against him. And he said not, give up such an one to Satan, but deliver, opening unto him the doors of repentance, and delivering up such an one as it were to a schoolmaster, and again, it is such an one. He nowhere can endure to mention of his name. For the destruction of the flesh, as was done in the case of the blessed Job, but not upon the same ground. For in that case, it was for brighter crowns, but here for loosing of sins, that he might scourge him with a grievous sore or some other disease. True it is that elsewhere he saith, of the Lord we are judged, when we suffer these things. But here, desirous of making them feel it more severely, he delivereth up unto Satan. And so this too, which God hath determined, ensued, that the man's flesh was chastened. For because inordinate eating and carnal luxuriousness are the parents of desires, 
it is the flesh which he chastens, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, that is, the soul, not as though this were saved alone, but because it was a settled point, that if that were saved, without all controversy, the body too would partake in its salvation. For as it became mortal, because of the soul sinning, so if this do righteousness, that also, on the other hand, shall enjoy great glory. But some maintain that the Spirit is the gracious gift, which is extinguished when we sin. In order then that this might not happen, saith he, let him be punished, that thereby becoming better, he may draw down to himself God's grace, and be found with it safe to render up in that day. So that all comes as from one exercising a nurse's or a physician's office, not merely scourging, nor punishing rashly and at random. For the gain is greater than the punishment, one being but for a season, the other everlasting. And he said not simply that the spirit may be saved, but in that day, well and seasonably doth he remind them of that day, in order that both they might more readily apply themselves to the cure, and that the person censured might the rather receive his words, not as it were of anger, but as the forethought of an anxious father. For this cause also, he said, unto the destruction of the flesh, proceeding to lay down regulations for the devils, and not suffering him to go a step too far. As in the instance of Job, God said, But touch not his life. Then having ended his sentence, and spoken it in brief, without dwelling on it, he brings in again a rebuke, directing himself against them. Verse 6. Your glorying is not good, signifying that it was they, up to the present time, who had hindered him from repenting by taking pride in him. Next he shows that he is taking this step in order to spare not that person only, but also those to whom he writes, to which effect he adds, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? For, saith he, although the offense be his, yet if neglected it hath power to waste the rest of the body of the church also. For when the first transgressor escapes punishment, speedily will others also commit the same faults. In these words he indicates, moreover, that their struggle and their danger is for the whole church, not for any one person, for which purpose he needed also the similitude of the leaven. For, as that saith he, though it be but little, transforms into its own nature the whole lump, so also this man, if he be let go unpunished, and if this sin turn out unavenged, will corrupt likewise all the rest. Verse 7. Purge out the old leaven, that is, this evil one. Not that he speaketh concerning this one only, rather he glances at others with him. For the old leaven is not fornication only, but also sin of every kind. And he said not purge, but purge out, cleanse with accuracy, so that there be not so much as a remnant nor a shadow of that sort. In saying then purge out, he signifies that there was still iniquity among them. But in saying that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, he affirms and declares that not over very many was the wickedness prevailing. But though he saith, as ye are unleavened, he means it not as a fact, that all were clean, but as to what sort of people you ought to be. 
For Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So also Christ called his doctrine leaven, and further he himself dwells upon the metaphor, reminding them of an ancient history, and of the Passover and unleavened bread, and of their blessings both then and now, and their punishments and their plagues. It is festival, therefore, the whole time in which we live. For though he said, Let us keep the feast, not with a view to the presence of the Passover or of Pentecost did he say it, but is pointing out that the whole of time is a festival unto Christians, because of the excellency of the good things which have been given. For what hath not come to pass that is good? The Son of God was made man for thee, hath freed thee from death, hath called thee into a kingdom. Thou therefore, who hast obtained, and art still obtaining such things, how can it be less than thy duty to keep the feast of all thy life? Let no one then be downcast about poverty and disease and craft of enemies, for it is a festival, even the whole of our time. Wherefore, saith Paul, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Upon the festival days no one puts on filthy garments. Neither then let us do so. For a marriage hath been made, a spiritual marriage. For the kingdom of heaven, saith he, is likened unto a certain king, which would make a marriage for his son. Now where is a king making a marriage, and a marriage for his son? What can be greater than this feast? Let no one then enter in clad in rags. Not about garments is our discourse, but about unclean actions. For if, where all wore bright apparel, one alone, being found at the marriage in filthy garments, was cast out with dishonor, consider how great strictness and purity the entrance into that marriage requires. However, not on this account only does he remind them of the unleavened bread, but also to point out the affinity of the Old Testament with the New, and to point out also that it was impossible, after the unleavened bread, again to enter into Egypt. But if any one choose to return, he would suffer the same things as they did. For those things were a shadow of these, however obstinate the Jew may be. Wherefore, shouldest thou inquire of him, he will speak no great thing. Rather, it is great which he will speak of, but nothing like what we speak of because he knows not the truth. For he, for his part, will say, The Egyptians who detained us were so changed by the Almighty that they themselves urged and drave us out, who before held us forcibly. They did not suffer us so much as to leaven our dough. But if a man asketh me, he shall hear not of Egypt nor of Pharaoh, but of our deliverance from the deceit of the demons and the darkness of the devil, not of Moses, but of the Son of God, not of the Red Sea, but of a baptism overflowing with ten thousand blessings, where the old man is drowned. Again, shouldst thou ask the Jew why he expels all leaven from all his borders, here he will even be silent, and will not so much as state any reason. And this is because, although some indeed of the circumstances were both types of things to come, and had also certain causes in things then happening, yet others were not so, that the Jews might not deal deceitfully, that they might not abide in the shadow. For tell me, what is the meaning of the lambs,
being a male and unblemished and a year old, and of a bone shall not be broken, and what means the command to call the neighbors also, and that it should be eaten standing and in the evening, or the fortifying of the house with a wall of blood. You will have nothing else to say, but over and over all about Egypt. But I can tell you the meaning both of the blood and of the evening and the eating altogether, and of the rule that all should be standing. But first let us explain why the leaven is cast out of all their borders. What then is the hidden meaning? The believer must be freed from all iniquity. For as among them he perishes, with whomsoever is found old leaven, so also with us, wheresoever is found iniquity, since of course the punishment being so great, in that which is a shadow, in our case it cannot choose but be much greater. For if they so carefully clear their houses of leaven, and pry into mouseholds, much more ought we to search out the soul, so as to cast out every unclean thought. This, however, was done by them of late, but now no longer. For everywhere there is leaven, where a Jew is found. For it is in the midst of cities that the feast of the unleavened bread is kept, a thing which is now rather a game at play than a law. For since the truth is come, the types have no longer any place. So that by means of this example also, he mightily drives the fornicator out of the church. For saith he, so far from his presence profiting, he even doth harm, injuring, on the contrary, the common estate of the body. For one knows not whence is the evil savor, while the corrupt part is concealed, and so one imputes it to the whole. Wherefore he urges upon them strongly to purge out the leaven, that ye may be, saith he, a new lump, even as ye are unleavened. For Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He said not is dead, but more in point to the subject in hand, hath been sacrificed. Seek not then unleavened bread of this kind, since neither hast thou a lamb of the same kind. Seek not leaven of this description, seeing that thine unleavened bread is not such as this. Thus in the case of material leaven, the unleavened might become leavened, but never the reverse whereas here there is a chance of the direct contrary occurring. This, however, he has not plainly declared, and observe his good sense. In the former epistle he gives the fornicator no hope of return, but orders that his whole life should be spent in repentance, lest he should make him less energetic through the promise. For he said not, deliver him up to Satan, that having repented, he might be commended again unto the church. But what saith he? that he may be saved in the last day. For he conducts him unto that time in order to make him full of anxiety. And what favors he intended him after the repentance he reveals not, imitating his own master. For as God saith, yet three days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and added not, but if she repent, she shall be saved. So also he did not say here, but if he repent worthily, we will confirm our love towards him. But he waits for him to do the work, that so he may then receive the favor. For if he had said this at the beginning, he might have set him free from the fear. Wherefore, he not only does not so, but by the instance of leaven allows him not even a hope of return, 
but reserves him unto that day. Purge out, so he says, the old leaven, and let us not keep the feast in the old leaven. But as soon as he had repented, he brought him in with all earnestness. But why does he call it old? It is because our former life was of this sort, or because that which is old is ready to vanish away, and is unsavory and foul, which is the nature of sin, for he neither simply finds fault with the old, nor simply praises the new, but with reference to the subject matter. And thus elsewhere he saith, new wine is as a new friend, but if it become old, then with pleasure shalt thou drink it. In the case of friendship, bestowing his praise rather upon the old than the new. And again, the ancient of days sat, here again taking the term ancient as among those laudatory expressions which confer highest glory. Elsewhere, the scripture takes the term old in the sense of blame, foreseeing that the things are of various aspect as being composed of many parts. It uses the same word both in a good and an evil import, not according to the same shade of meaning of which you may see an instance in the blame cast elsewhere on the old. They waxed old, and they halted from their paths. And again, I have become old in the midst of all mine enemies. And again, O thou that art become old in evil days. So also the leaven is often taken for the kingdom of heaven, although here found fault with. But in that place it is used with one aspect, and in this with another, but I have a strong impression that the saying about the leaven refers also to the priests who suffer a vast deal of the old leaven to be within, not purging out from their borders, that is, out of the church, the covetous, the extortioners, and whatsoever would cast them out of the kingdom of heaven. For surely covetousness is an old leaven, and whenever it lights, and into whatsoever house it enters, makes it unclean, and though you may gain but little by your injustice, it leavens the whole of your substance. Wherefore, not seldom the dishonest gain, being but little, hath cast out the stock honestly laid up, however abundant, for nothing is more rotten than covetousness. You may fasten up that man's closet with key and door and bolt. You do all in vain, whilst you shut up within covetousness, the worst of all robbers, and able to carry off all. But what, say you, if there are many covetous who do not experience this? In the first place, they will experience it, though their experience come not immediately. And should they now escape, then do thou fear it the more, for they are reserved for a greater punishment. Add to this, that in the event of themselves escaping, yet those who inherit their wealth will have the same to endure. But how can this be just, you will say? It is quite just. For he that has succeeded to an inheritance full of injustice, though he have committed no rapine himself, detains nevertheless the property of others, and is perfectly aware of this, and it is fair that he should suffer for it. For if this or that person had robbed, and you received a thing, and then the owner came and demanded it back, would it avail you in defense to say that you had not seized it? By no means. For what would be your plea when accused, tell me? That it was another who spoiled? Well, 
but you are keeping possession, that it was he who robbed, but you are enjoying it. Why these rules, even the laws of the heathen, recognize, which acquitting those who have seized and stolen, bid you demand satisfaction from those persons in whose possession you happen to find your things all laid up. If then you know who are the injured, restore and do what Zacchaeus did, with much increase. But if you know not, I offer you another way yet. I do not preclude you from the remedy. Distribute all these things to the poor. This again will be a way for you to mitigate the evil. But if some have transmitted these things even to children and descendants, still in retribution they have suffered other disasters. And why speak I of things in this present life? In that day, at any rate, will none of these things be said, when both appear naked, both the spoiled and the spoilers, or rather not alike naked. Of riches indeed, both will be equally stripped, but the one will be full of the crimes to which they give occasion. What then shall we do on that day, when before the dread tribunal, he that hath been evil, entreated, and lost his all, is brought forward into the midst, and you have no one to speak a word for you? What will you say to the judge? How indeed you may be able even to corrupt the judgment, being but of men. But in that court, and at that time, you will be no longer so. No, nor yet now will you be able. For even at this moment that tribunal is present, since God both seeth our doings, and is near unto the injured, though not invoked. It being certain that whoever suffers wrong, however in himself unworthy to obtain any redress, yet nevertheless, seeing that what is done pleases not God, he hath most assuredly one to avenge him. How then, you will say, is such an one well off, who is wicked? Nay, it will not be so unto the end. Hear what saith the prophet, Fret not thyself because of the ungodly, because as grass they shall wither away quickly. For where, tell me, where is he who wrought repine after his departure hence? Where are his bright hopes? Where his august name? Are they not all past and gone? Is it not a dream and a shadow, all that was his? And this you must expect in the case of every such person, both in his own person while living, and in that of him who shall come after him, but not such in the state of the saints. Nor will it be possible for you to say the same things in their case also, that it is a shadow and a dream and a tale what belongs to them. And if you please, he who spake these things, the tent-maker, the Sicilian, the man whose very parentage is unknown, let him be the example we produce. You will say, How is it possible to become such as he was? Do you then thoroughly desire it? Are you thoroughly anxious to become such? Yes, you will say. Well then, go the same way as he went, and they that were with him. Now what way went he, one saith, in hunger and thirst and nakedness? Another silver and gold I have none. Thus they had nothing, and yet possessed all things. What can be nobler than this saying? 
what more blessed or more abundant in riches. Others, indeed, were making their boast in the contrary things, saying, I have this or that number of talents of gold, and acres of land without end, and houses and slaves. But this man, in order to be naked of all things, shrinks not from poverty, which is the feeling of the unwise, nor hides his face, but he even wears it as an ornament. Where now be the rich man, they who count up their interest simple and compound, they who take from all men and are never satisfied? Have ye heard the voice of Peter, that voice which sets forth poverty as the mother of wealth, that voice which has nothing, yet is wealthier than those who wear diadems? For this is that voice which, having nothing, was raising the dead, and rearing up the lame, and driving away devils, and bestowing such gracious gifts, as those who are clad in the purple robe, and lead the mighty and terrible legions, never were able to bestow. This is the voice of those who are now removed into heaven, of those who have attained unto that height. Thus it is possible that he who hath nothing may possess all men's goods. Thus may all men's goods be acquired. Whereas, were we to get all men's goods, we are bereft of all. Perhaps this saying seems to be a paradox, but it is not. But you will say, How does he who hath nothing possess all men's goods? Doth he not much more so, who hath what belongs to all? By no means, but the contrary, for he who hath nothing commands all, even as they did. And throughout the world all houses were open to them, and they who offered them took their coming as a favor, and they came to them as to friends and kindred. For so they came to the woman who was a seller of purple, and she, like a servant, set before them what she had, and to the keeper of the prison, and he opened to them all his house, and to innumerable others. Thus they had all things, and had nothing, for they said that none of the things which they possessed was their own. Therefore all things were theirs. For he that considers all things which are to be common will not only use his own, but also the things of others, as if they belonged to him. But he that parts things off and sets himself a master over his own only will not be master even of these. And this is plain from an example. He who possesses nothing at all, neither house nor table nor garment to spare, but for God's sake is bereft of all, uses the things which are in common as his own, and he shall receive from all whatsoever he may desire. Thus he that hath nothing possesses the things of all, but he that has some things will not be master even of these. For first no one will give to him that hath possessions, and secondly his property shall belong to robbers and thieves and informers, and changing events, and be anybody's rather than his. Paul, for instance, went up and down throughout all the world, carrying nothing with him, though he went neither unto friends nor kindred. Nay, at first he was a common enemy to all, but nevertheless he had all men's goods, after he had made his entrance. But Ananias and Sapphira, hastening to gain a little more than their own, lost all, together with life itself. Withdraw then from thine own, 
that thou mayest use others' goods as thine own. But I must stop. I know not how I have been carried into such a transport in speaking such words as these unto men, who think it a great thing to impart but ever so little of their own. Wherefore, let these my words have been spoken to the perfect, but to the more imperfect, this is what we may say. Give of what you have unto the needy. Increase your substance. For, saith he, he that giveth unto the poor lendeth unto God. But if you are in a hurry, and wait not for the time of retribution, think of those who lend money to men, for not even these desire to get their interest immediately, but they are anxious that the principal should remain a good long while in the hands of the borrower, provided only the repayment be secure, and they have no mistrust of the borrower. Let this be done, then, in the present case only. Leave them with God, that he may pay thee thy wages manifold. Seek not to have the whole here. For if you recover it all here, how will you receive it back there? And it is on this account that God stores them up there, inasmuch as this present life is full of decay. But he gives even here also. For seek ye, saith he, the kingdom of heaven and all these things shall be added unto you. Well then, let us look towards that kingdom and not be in a hurry for the repayment of the whole, lest we diminish our recompense. But let us wait for the fit season, for the interest in these cases is not of that kind, but is such as is meet to be given by God. This then, having collected together in great abundance, so let us depart hence, that we may obtain both the present and future blessings, through the grace and loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom unto the Father and the Holy Spirit be glory, power, honor, now henceforth and forevermore. Amen. End of homily 15.